Good morning, team. Welcome back to A Very Nice Day with Kelly Grace May, and happy Monday. Happy Monday. I believe a lot of people have off today for President's Day. I hope you are having a nice long weekend. I finally feel like I'm getting in the groove of this podcast thing, even though I still truly do not know what the fuck I'm doing, which is just another reminder that no one knows what the fuck they're doing. And everyone's just winging it. I got so much positive feedback from last week's episode that I did with my sister, and she's definitely going to be a recurring guest. We decided on at least monthly, if not more often, because I think it just adds an extra element of candor and banter, and there's just something about sisters. Like, I'm a toaster, so there's just nothing like sister banter. And I also got some interesting feedback that it was like an extra layer of getting to know me through a different lens. My sister knows me better than anyone else. And I think even when I'm just doing solo episodes and talking about myself, there could be value to have her on and share her POV. She also remembers a lot of things that I don't remember from periods of my life that are very blurry for me because of both trauma and a pretty heavy Xanax addiction. (laughs) So she has uh, a clearer memory on some years of my life that I truly blacked the fuck out. Like, I'm not exaggerating. There are years of my life that I very faintly remember. So she'll definitely be a recurring guest. And I'm glad that you guys enjoyed that episode. I will say, the thing that I'm struggling, struggling with the most about the podcast is the technology behind it. But I do feel like I'm starting to figure it out. But the extra person on with a microphone is something I have to figure out because I, I don't know how to have two microphones involved in the situation. But my brother is going to help me. We're going to get it done. The audio quality on the last one was like, very subpar. And I noticed that, but I wasn't going to let that hold me back from posting it because perfect is the enemy of done. But at the end of the day, I don't want to put out a podcast episode that the audience actually can't listen to. So we're going to work on that for next time, but she'll definitely be a recurring guest. And generally speaking, I'm just, I had this moment yesterday, I was getting my nails done and I was just alone with my thoughts and not on my phone. And I was like, oh my God, I've always said I want a podcast and I finally have one. It's just like one of those moments that it really all set in with me. Like, oh, I'm doing that thing that I once said that I would do. And that felt really cool in that moment. And yeah, like I said, I've said this before, I really believe like confidence and believing in yourself comes from keeping the promises that you make to yourself. And each time that you honor yourself and show up for yourself, you build a little bit of confidence in whatever, you know, fields that that's in. Like, I think I gave that uh, perspective when I was talking about drinking on last, last week's episode, but that could be applied to anything. So I'm just, I'm building confidence slowly in this space by keeping the promises I make to myself and learning how to do a new thing that I once thought would be really intimidating. Not just like the speaking into a microphone, but like the technology behind it, how to get it set up. It's truly uh, a fun experience to learn something new. So if there's something that you're interested in doing, but you're like, I don't know how the fuck to do it, like small steps, small steps, start small, write it out. What are the things that need to happen in order for you to learn this thing and just start? So that's my little spiel. But it's Thursday right now when I'm recording this. It snowed this week, but the sun is shining, and I'm excited for the weekend ahead. I thought I would have a lot more time during this, like, month and a half-ish of downtime. I start school on March 7th, which is right around the corner, and I've been just treating every day, like, with structure. Not too much structure, but structure, because I don't do well with zero structure. And thank God I've had, like, the podcast to pour into some brand partnerships to pour into. I've been in a little bit of a TikTok flop era. I've been talking about that on TikTok where I just like don't know what to say, but I just, I'm I'm slowly coming off of my period. So I'm like, okay, it was probably just hormones and feeling bizarre. So I hope that's over soon. But I didn't candidly get to create as much content during this time as I thought I would have. I really wanted to like 
pour all my energy into creating more TikToks, being more active on social. But like, it's been, yeah, it's just been an interesting time. And I am excited for school to start so I can just like be focused on that. But yeah, I'm just trying not to have a ton of expectations for myself right now. I am struggling a bit with like routine, like having a morning routine, having a night routine, because having a presence online is something that is still really new to me. And you do always feel like there's more that can be done. You're always like randomly coming up with ideas. And for me with ADHD, I start 60 things and then I never finish them. And that's really difficult for me. And I'm going to talk about this more because it came in on the AMA about ADHD specifically. But yeah, I'm just trying to take some of the pressure off of myself right now and remember that I'm just a human being and I'm doing my best. And that's good enough, perfectly good enough. So that being said, today's episode, we are going to do an Ask Me Anything. I put out some feelers both on TikTok and on Instagram about questions you guys had. And candidly, some questions I wanted to answer on TikTok and I and like respond to your comments and just make video. But I've said this before too. Like the tricky thing about TikTok is sometimes your videos just get served to like random ass people who do not follow you and they don't know you and they don't have any context. And then like you get trolls, you get hate, and it just was not something that I wanted to do on TikTok, specifically in the realm of finances. Like I've had people ask me multiple times on TikTok, like, how do you deal with approaching finances, you know, as a couple, but also now that you're married. And I'm going to talk about that. That's actually going to be the first question that I go into. But I didn't want to answer on TikTok because I didn't need random people giving their perspective. You know what I mean? And so I guess before we get into that question, I just want to lead with, again, I shouldn't qualify so much, but like everything that I say is from my POV. It's from my perspective. It's just the shoes that I walk in. It's not going to be the shoes that you walk in and how I answer everything, but maybe some of it resonates with you. So that's that. So to kick off, we're going to get straight into the tea. So a lot of people asked, how do you tackle finances in your relationship? How did you combine once you got married? People asked this question in a bunch of different ways, but that was the question. So I want to give some background. When I met Andy, I was 24. I had just gotten my first big girl job at Salesforce in San Francisco and was like just starting to make money, but I didn't have any savings. And I was essentially living like paycheck to paycheck. I am very blessed. My parents paid for college. I was always provided for. I don't have any student loans. So very, very blessed in that way. But I mean, I was not being supported by my parents in any capacity once I hit the workforce. So I didn't have any savings to fall back on and was like living paycheck to paycheck because San Francisco is one of the most expensive cities in the country. It's expensive to live, rent, do things on the weekends. Like you guys know the drill. So I didn't have any savings. I didn't have a credit card, nothing. So once I met Andy, you know, he's uh, two and a half years older than me. He was more established financially than I was, and I was pretty candid with him off the bat. I mean, about literally everything, because I'm a chronic oversharer, which is why I overshare online, basically, for a living now. And yeah, so he was clued into my finances and my financial situation pretty much off the bat. Like, he helped me get my first credit card. He literally took my phone, applied for a credit card for me, and was pretty much trying to like instill some good financial habits in me off the bat. He works in finance. So, you know, he he knows a thing or two about a thing or two when it comes to finances and really helped me um, get started with like a savings account, again, the credit and whatnot. So, you know, it was very clear, shocker, spoiler alert, Andy makes a lot more money than me. He always has there is a very significant gap between our incomes. But the way that we approach finances now is as such. So when we first moved in together, which was like eight months into our relationship, I was like, this is what I can pay for rent. And then he paid the rest. It was just kind of this unspoken thing because he knew about my finances. So he was like, okay, this is what she can pay. And then once we got engaged, Andy's first mission was like, we are 
merging bank accounts. Like we are getting financially together. We are one band, one sound as it relates to finances. And that's because we have mutually exclusive interests in like our future. We want to buy a house one day. We want to get a car. We want to have kids, all that good stuff. So he just wanted us to be set up for success. I mean, I had nothing to lose. (laughs) He had a lot to lose. So I was just like, yeah, let's, let's do this. So we, we merged, um, we merged bank accounts and we are fully like one band, one sound as it relates to finances. We have one joint credit card. We have one bank account, but I didn't have a personal savings, like I said, when I first met Andy. And it was very important to him that I started building personal savings because he knew that it would build confidence for me. He was always saying, like, you never know what's going to happen in life. You need a rainy day fund. You need something to fall back on. So he had gotten me set up with a savings account. And when we got engaged and merged bank accounts, he was basically like, look, I want you to keep building your savings. You're doing so great. And I want that for you. Like, that's really important. So we started putting half of my paycheck into our joint bank account and half of my paycheck into my personal savings account that is completely separate from Andy and will always be separate from Andy. So that's how we do things now, even though I don't have a corporate job anymore. Half of my you know, paychecks from brand partnerships or whatever it is goes into my personal savings and half goes into our joint bank account so that I can continue building a savings because that's really important. But again, like this is going to be different for everyone because everyone's financial situation and incomes with themselves and their significant other are going to be completely different. But again, for Andy and I, he makes a lot more money than me. And if we needed to, like we could survive on, you know, just him fully financially supporting us. But I really want to work and I like working and I like making my own money. So that's not something that I see for myself um, in the near future. Who knows what will happen when, you know, we bring kids into the world one day. But for now, that's how we approach finances. And I think something that's really important that I'm always talking about with my friends who are in serious relationships but not yet married or thinking of moving in together is like you need to have uncomfortable conversations around money very early on. Not super early on, but like you need to start having uncomfortable conversations about money because it's inevitable if you're planning on, you know, going a distance with this person. It's important to know, like, do they have debt? What kinds of financial goals do they have? What's important to them in terms of, you know, their future? Do they want to own a house one day? Like, are you aligned on what it is you want? Because the way that you choose to spend your money is like very personal. And if you're not aligned with that person, that I think that's work throughable, obviously. But like, I just think you need to get on the same page about money. And so if you're thinking about moving in with someone or getting engaged or getting married, like you need to have really uncomfortable conversations around money and make sure that you're on the same page about the future of your finances in order for you guys to be set up for success. Because if you're not, that's, it's going to, it's inevitable. You're going to deal with it at some point and you want to be proactive about tackling that conversation. Now for us, what that's just what's worked is to approach it the way that I just explained and be in one credit card. You know, I don't like ask Andy before I buy something. He doesn't ask me before he buys something, but like we both have visibility into what is spent. We both are on the same page and we have like monthly conversations around, you know, our finances, where things are at, is the credit card bill crazy? Did I spend a lot of money on DoorDash this month? Like, do I need to chill the fuck out? Probably. Does he need to stop buying Brunello Cuccinelli? Definitely. But um, no, I'm just kidding. He works hard. So if he wants to buy Brunello, like, go off king. But that being said, like, it's just important to get on the same page about money. It's an uncomfortable topic, but necessary. Okay. Someone asked, what do you like about living in Greenpoint and why did you move there from Manhattan? which was interesting because I don't think I've ever like explicitly stated this. Andy and I actually moved to Greenpoint from San Francisco when we moved to the East Coast. So if you don't know, I'll give you like the high level. I moved to San Francisco in 2019. And then in December of 2021, we moved to Greenpoint from San Francisco. So we moved across the country. The move was prompted by my sister. She had a baby. She was pregnant with her second baby at this time. And my family was finally in this really good place where like everyone could be in the same room. Everyone was hanging out all the time. My parents were getting along and able to like have dinners together because the kids brought everyone together. And I just didn't want to miss out on that because that is not the experience I had in childhood. And so I just felt like I was missing out on this 
opportunity to build memories with my family that were positive. And it's crazy because like now I can't even believe that I had like a tumultuous childhood, which I had a very tumultuous childhood, very chaotic. I'm not really like going to go into it because I love my family and I just like don't want to, you know, I don't want to dwell on the past or put anyone in an uncomfortable situation. But that's all I need to say is that it was tumultuous and very, very chaotic for most of my life until a few years ago when I decided to move to the East Coast. And again, moving to California or when I lived in Colorado for college and then I moved to California, I first moved to San Diego and then I moved to San Francisco. I was always like running away from home because home was not somewhere I wanted to be. It was fine just seeing my family like two or three times a year because it was never like there was always drama. There was always something. And so it was fine to be like running away from home and living really far away. It was like for the best. But then once everything was very peaceful, I was like, I need to be home and I need to be making memories with my family. So that's what prompted the move. So we moved to Greenpoint because multiple people had said, hey, I really think you'll like it here. I knew I didn't want to live in Manhattan. So we were always leaning towards Brooklyn. We knew we could get a nice building, a high rise, you know, a water view, amenities, which is not something you can really even get in San Francisco either. But all, let alone Manhattan, because it's so expensive. Like if I lived in my apartment in, in Manhattan, it would be a bajillion dollars. I mean, we definitely pay a hefty amount for rent, but it would be double in Manhattan. But so, yeah, so that's why we moved to Greenpoint. Like we wanted something chill. We wanted something peaceful. I love Greenpoint because it's very residential. There's, you know, obviously this like gorgeous water view. It's very quiet. Like I don't go to sleep at night hearing horns and ambulances and people screaming. Like it's very peaceful. And there's amazing restaurants. I love the neighborhood spots. I just like, I love it. And I also kind of love that it's hard to get to. If someone invites me to something in Manhattan, I need three to five business days notice. If you know, you know, because the subway here is not the easiest route to Manhattan. But that being said, it does pose like challenges when I need to get to Manhattan. It's, you know, it's usually going to be a subway there and an Uber back. Like that's just the way it is, baby. And, you know, it's it's the price you pay. But yeah, that's why I love Greenpoint. Just peace, peace and quiet. Okay. Also, I decided to do like a mix of these that are like advice slash questions about me. But so we'll keep, we'll just keep it moving. Okay. How did you know Andy was the one? This is a question I've gotten a few times and it's a hard question to really nail down, but I have given it some deep thought. And something that you need to know is that like I I don't have a ton of experience dating. Like, I was never, like, in the dating game, really. I had a really serious boyfriend in high school. And then I had a really serious boyfriend in college who passed away. And then, you know, in between that time and meeting Andy, I, you know, dated a few people, like, casually. Or maybe, you know, it was serious. But, like, they probably, this is, sounds so fucking bad, but they probably thought it was way more serious than I did. Um. But I haven't, like, been in the dating game in the sense that, like, I was never, like, going on first dates with people and then, like, trying to figure out if I liked them. I, whenever I was dating someone, I was always, it was someone I knew or was friends with. And, like, it was, you know, organically, like, we fell into kind of, like, hooking up and then maybe dating more casually or more seriously. But then I got so bored. Oh, my God. I got so bored. I am, like, such a textbook Aries to a T. Like, no one could hold my attention. It was bad. So that was how... I could actually figure out this answer, which is that Andy was the first person to hold my attention. I thought he was so interesting. Obviously, he's so hot. Like, he's, you know, he's gorgeous. But he was so interesting, so smart. But most importantly, he made me feel so calm and so secure. And I think that's a good question to ask yourself is like, how do you feel when you're with this person? Yes, you can like someone. Like, you can be like, oh my God, they're so cool. They're so interesting. They're so handsome. Like, whatever. I like their family. I like what they do for a living, yada, yada. But like, do you like who you are when you're with them? Because sometimes you can have all those things and like that person, but they bring out the worst in you. They make you anxious. Like, you're wondering how they feel about you. You're wondering if they're talking to someone else. And Andy brought me this immediate sense of calm, this immediate sense of ease, he also made me want to be a better person. 
And I want to stress this, not that he made me want to change who I am. Another thing is that he cherishes and celebrates who I am and never has tried to change me. But he made me want to be a better person. And quite honestly, he's responsible for a lot of the healthy habits and changes that I have made in my life and the evolution that is like adult Kelly. I think Andy is in some capacity responsible for. Obviously, it's me who did the work. I'm the one who is showing up as this person every day. But Andy has inspired me to become the person that I am. And so um, I just, I, I felt so safe and so calm with him. And I, you know, was very disarming in the beginning of our relationship. Off the bat, I was like, I really like you. I see this going somewhere. Because he was the first person that I had ever dated that I didn't know. Like, if you guys don't know the background, he was my first and only hinge date ever when I first moved to San Francisco. And I lived in San Francisco for like a month. And then I met him. And that was it for me. So I think you just have to ask yourself when you meet someone is like, do I like who I am when I'm with them? And how do I feel when I'm with them? And when I'm away from them? Oh my God, if you're like anxious. I mean, yes, it could not just be them. Like it might be a sign that you need to do some inner work or like go to therapy or explore like your attachment style. But who do I feel when I'm with them and when I'm away from them? Someone asked, how to set boundaries with a family member who doesn't want to honor them? Help. I think a fundamental mistake that people make in the topic of like understanding boundaries or setting boundaries is that they are confused about what a boundary is. So for example, here, when they say how to set boundaries with a family member who doesn't want to honor them, boundaries are about your own actions, not about the actions of other people, because you can't control what other people do. But boundaries are things that you set with yourself, guidelines you set with yourself about how you will choose to or choose not to respond when someone else acts a certain way. That's where I think people get really confused is they think that boundaries are about like telling other people what to do. Like you can't speak to me in a certain way. Like we can't talk about this topic together. And then they're surprised when someone speaks to them that way or talks about that that subject when they're together. But that's not what a boundary is. Like you can't tell other people what to do only thing you can control is your personal reaction to whatever that situation is. That's how you choose to set the boundary. So for example, if you're like, I have a family member who cannot stop talking about politics and I fundamentally disagree with everything they have to say, we shouldn't talk about politics. If that person's talking about politics, just choose that you're going to leave the room or choose that you're going to be silent in that conversation and or choose like a phrase you're going to say like, I'm not comfortable talking about this with you. I think we should change the subject. That's a boundary. A boundary is about how you respond to a situation and how you honor yourself in response to a situation. So you cannot tell other people what to do. Boundaries are not rules that you set for other people to behave a certain way because that will never work because you can't control other people. You can't control the outcomes. You can't control their actions. You can only control how you respond. So my answer to you would be to reverse this and ask yourself, how can I change how I respond to this family member or choose not to respond to this family member in whatever, you know, this boundary is that you have? So instilling a boundary is a thing that you do to protect yourself against other people's actions, not to control other people's actions. That's a boundary. Someone asked, new follower here, would love to hear about your experience dealing with loss. And some other people asked about grief and the grieving process. And so I'm going to kind of probably go on a tangent here, just a warning. But I feel like I've talked about this on TikTok a lot. And again, it's something that I try not to give like a ton of detail about. But I feel like if I'm going to do that anywhere, it's going to be here on the podcast where I have control over what I say. And, you know, I mean, whatever. I actually have no control over anything because it's the internet, but some background. So I, in college, was dating a guy for two years. His name was Pat, and he passed away. Um, we were actually on a break when he passed away, and we were in a pretty bad place in our relationship and like debating where the relationship would go um, and decided to take a break. So we actually like weren't speaking when he passed away. Um, and weirdly enough, when I, the day that he passed away, when I got the news, I had texted him earlier that day and I said like, hey, I know we're not talking right now, 
But someone else actually from my high school had passed away that morning. Someone had overdosed. And it like evoked this emotional response in me. And so I texted him and I was like, hey, I know we're not talking right now, but I'm excited to talk when we get back to school. Like, I hope you're well. I'm just happy you're alive and healthy. I literally said the words alive and healthy. Um, And I'll see you, like, I'll see you soon. And then a few hours later, I got the call. And I have gotten some questions about how he passed away. And it's like very triggering to talk about, but I'm just going to provide some high-level detail. He was in a very freak accident and him and three other boys uh, passed away that day. It just was a freak accident, a freak series of events, a, you know, night of fun that just went really wrong and four boys lost their life that day. And so I just, I'm not really comfortable giving a ton of detail other than that. But that rocked my world. I was 20. I was about to turn 21 when this happened. This was January of, of 2016. And I spiraled deeply out of control. I went back to school. I went to Boulder. Thank God I had my friends at the time who I had just moved in with like six months prior. And I'll talk about this at a later date, but I had, you know, gone through a really serious, uh, like friend breakup where I was like best friends with two girls and they like completely turned on me and decided that they hated me. And then my college friends who were, were just roommates at the time came into my life and I moved in with them right before all of this happened, thank God. And they ended up becoming my best friends and they're still my best friends to this day. But so thank God I had them and I had a support system to be around me and surrounding me when I went back to school. But I completely spiraled, spiraled out of control. I was drinking all the time, doing a ton of drugs, a lot of cocaine, a lot of Xanax, sometimes at the same time, really, really bad coping mechanisms, things I'm not proud of. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I actually, I, I slept with a lot of people during that time. I was like trying to fill this void. I was really, really out of control. Um, and people were really judgmental of my grieving process, which is understandable because your boyfriend dies and then you're going back to school out of control, sleeping with everyone, I was talked about a lot. And I understand why. I mean, now looking back, I understand why I did the things I did. I was young. I didn't have tools in my toolbox. I had no idea what to do. I was not prepared to go through this at all. And I just did what I could to survive. And at the time, it was it was those things. And although I'm not proud of how I coped and how I grieved, I wouldn't change anything because I I had to do what I had to do to survive. And so if that's what it was at the time when I didn't know any better, then so be it. But that's how I grieved. And it was really out of control. It was not healthy. And there were nights where I was like, am I going to wake up tomorrow? So I don't really have any uh, tools from that time in my life. But I had a therapist at the time who said something to me that really changed my life. And she said to me, the trauma is not your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. I'm going to say that again. The trauma is not your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. And suddenly everything clicked. I was like, I am the only person who is going to change my life. I can either be a victim to this and let it define me and let it just run my life and me be a victim of my circumstances or or I can choose better. And that's when everything changed. Um, my best friend, I also went to rehab. And that's what really woke me up to my Xanax addiction and why I was able to pull myself out of that without going to rehab myself. Her going to rehab really made me realize like, oh, fuck, like not only am I addicted to drugs, but I think I'm partially responsible for my friend getting this addicted to drugs. And I just woke up and I was like, I have to change my life. So I did what I had to do to graduate. Um, I had to take an extra semester and I did that online from home in New Jersey. This was in the fall of 2017. And then I decided that I was going to go to Bali and volunteer. I can't explain why, but I literally had a dream one night. Pat totally tapped me on the shoulder in my dream and was like, you should go do something bigger before you enter the workforce. And he had uh, done a lot of volunteer work in Cambodia and Guatemala um, and like work with Habitat for Humanity. And 
it just like it just all clicked i woke up one morning and i was like i'm going to bali literally my parents were like what the fuck i was like i know i don't know how i this came to me but it did and i have to go so i went to bali for a couple of months i went completely by myself i did a lot of work there on myself i was journaling like eight pages a day i mean i moved to indonesia by myself it's, it's you know like i had a lot of time to think and reflect and that was a really healing experience for me and when i left bali i decided that i wanted to get a job and move somewhere else and i decided on san diego my best friend was living in san diego san diego and i was like i want to go there so i interviewed for a job got the job and i was like i can be in san diego in 2 weeks and that's what i did and i totally manifested that i spent like the end of my experience in Bali being like, I'm going to get to San Diego and this is what's going to happen. And I would write it out. And then that's what happened. And I had all these hurdles. I was like, I have to get a car. I have to get an apartment. How will I do it? I just did it. I just figured it out. So I get to San Diego and three months into living in San Diego, my world is fucking rocked again. I've told this story before, but I had a platonic best friend his name was evan we met at work he was the best person ever i'm not just saying that because he's not here anymore he's was the best person i've ever met so positive so full of life like it's infectious is like the only word i can use to describe him and we were at the beach one day it was a sunday and he was like let's go in the water i was like great we walked towards the water we were in pacific beach and he started running because he's just like full of life, you know, happy-go-lucky. And I had this feeling in my gut that I will never, ever forget and is the reason that I'm so connected to my intuition is because of this moment. I had this feeling in my gut, like, why is he running? Something bad's going to happen. And he ended up running into the water. He was just, like, so excited, and he misjudged how deep the water was. There was a wave coming in, and he dove. And the second that his feet left the ground, I ran towards him because I knew something was deeply wrong. And I'm not going to get too much like into the details, but he was, you know, knocked unconscious. I, in that moment, like you figure out if you're fight or flight. And I think because I had spent so much time ruminating on, you know, Pat's freak accident that I was not present for, obviously, ruminating on what had happened because a lot of that accident like what was you know had a lot of unanswered questions and people don't really understand how it happened i spent so much time ruminating on it that i was weirdly like prepared to respond to a freak accident and i just mustered up the strength and i carried him out of the water i carried him to shore i just to, to this day, I do not know how I did that because he was a lot bigger, bigger and heavier than me. But the the short of it is that Evan um, he paralyzed himself that day uh, when he dove, and he passed away four days later. He had like suffered a C one C two fracture, I think. Um, his like esophagus was crushed on impact. He would never breathe, walk, talk, eat, do anything on his own ever again. And this is a kid who loved to work out, loved to exercise, run around, a very fit kid in seconds. Everything taken from him. Everything changed and lost his life. And I think sometimes it's really hard for me to answer some of the questions people ask around like, how do you just like not care? How do you not like worry about people judging you? How do you have your mindset? I witnessed that. And while I don't let, you know, these two events define my life, but they were def very defining in my life. They don't, I'm not talking about them all day, every day, but like they defined my experience on this earth. When you watch someone lose their life, you will never be the same. Hopefully for better. But you could easily be for worse. I mean, I it you could it could easily be for worse because that's fucking traumatic. Not poor me, not poor me. That's not the vibe here, but I I just that's why I look at life the way that I do. That's why I make the decisions that I make. That's why I don't give a shit. That's why I don't sweat the small stuff. That's why I'm not 
you know, pressed by the most minor inconvenience that comes up throughout my life, there are bigger fish to fry. Okay. Um, so that is my experience with loss. In between those times, I've also lost a lot of acquaintances, most of them to drugs, but there have been some other type of weird freak accidents in there too. I just, I know a lot of young people who have lost their life and didn't get the chance to see another day. And so I know all too well that life can be taken from you in just an instant and before you think it's going to happen for sure. Like, you know, we think about when we're going to die and like it's this, usually this long life ahead of us. And we're not all afforded that opportunity. And that's why I have the lens that I do. And while I would do anything in the entire world to bring these two people back, I know that I can't. And so I choose to look at life the way that I do. Now, with Evan and Evan's accident, I had already known because, you know, I had gone through this experience with Pat. I fell into drugs, whatever. I was like, I'm not going that route. I have to do something like amazing on this earth. And I was working at Classy still at the time, which is the company that Evan and I were working at. And they gave me, they were like, take as much time as you need. But I tried to go back and I just couldn't do it. And they were like, I had this VP of sales who is still someone I keep in touch with to this day. And I had the opportunity to go work at Boys Lie instead and help them launch their brand with Tori and Leah, my two friends who are the founders of Boys Lie. And, you know, when I was post Evan's accident, I was spending a lot of time with Tori and Leah and they were like, maybe this is the time you can work with us. It doesn't make sense for you to go back to work there and like see an empty desk. It's too much. And so I was talking to my mentor about it and she looked at me and she said, go do amazing things and then come back and tell me about them. You're not normal. And I mean that with, you know, as a compliment, she was like, you're meant to do something great. And I left the office that day and I went with Tori and Leah. And then, you know, eight months later, I moved to San Francisco, met my husband. And that's where like my life started, really. So I almost think about like Evan's accident as when my life actually started because I'm not the same person that I was the day that that happened or the hours before that that happened, you know? So that's really like was kind of the turning point for me in my life and choosing choosing a life of happiness, choosing a life of fulfillment, of purpose. And yeah, when it comes to grief, it is not linear. You will have setbacks and it's just a day by day type of thing. I have to compartmentalize sometimes because my grief around Evan and my grief around Pat are very different. I feel like I've come a really long way in terms of my grief with Pat. I don't really feel like I've come a long way in terms of my grief with Evan, um, mostly because I was present for it and I have some deep rooted, you know, what some people, professionals have told me is PTSD. Like I'll close my eyes some nights and see, you know, memories from that day that were like pretty gruesome, unprompted. And I know that I need to do some like deep work to tackle that. And it's awkward because I haven't really gotten around to it and it keeps popping up. So that's going to have to happen. Um, I've debated doing like ketamine therapy or like guided mushroom therapy, but yeah, talk therapy is not going to get me through that one. Um, but talk therapy really helps me with Pat and my grief with Pat. And so I 10 out of 10 recommend talking to a therapist um, if you're going through grief. And if you can find someone who specializes in grief counseling, that's always a plus because um, they'll hopefully have some tools for you uh, in your toolbox. And yeah, you just have to take it day by day. Um, and the, the blessing and the thing that I choose to see in all of it is that I have two people looking out for me every single day. Any good thing that has happened in my life since they've passed, I know is they're doing fully, they're doing to a T to, you know, I've had signs that just, you simply can't ignore. So just take it day by day. If you're going through grief, I'm, my heart is with you. And, um, I hope you choose to come out stronger and better and live life with more purpose and more intention than ever before. Holy shit, that was heavy. Okay, 
let's move on to maybe something later. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, my friend is trying to compete with me in life and always one-upping me. How do I handle? Ugh, it's such an easy answer. I can't wait to answer this. Let them. If someone is competing with you, let them. If someone is always one-upping you, let them. Take a step back. Take a backseat. Kick your feet back and let them compete. Why? Because you cannot compete with someone who's not playing the game. So if you choose to not play the game, they're just competing with no one. And that's really awkward. So if you just let them kick back, let them be the star, then they'll stop doing it. I promise you. Like they will stop doing it because they'll be like, wait, she's not like threatened by me. Wait. She's not competing with me. Like they'll pick up on it. I promise you. Someone who is trying to compete with you will pick up on you not partaking. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. If they want to race with you, that's fine. But they're racing fucking no one. So just let them. A lot of people asked about my experience with mushrooms. And candidly, guys, I'm not comfortable talking about it yet just because like, I literally don't want to get arrested. I don't want to get flagged. I don't want to encourage people to do things that they shouldn't do. Like the hallucinogenics can be very powerful and very healing if done mindfully and intentionally and in the right setting and circumstance. But they can also be really dangerous, especially if you have underlying mental health issues. I know people who have underlying schizophrenia or bipolar and they were triggered when they did mushrooms or acid and like they have never been the same since. And it has fully like changed their life for the worse. So I just... I'm still thinking through how I want to talk about this publicly so that I'm doing it in a safe way that's not encouraging people to do something irresponsible. So if you guys could just give me a second, I'm going to like, you know, consult some outside sources and figure out how to talk about this in a way that is helpful and shed some light on my experience because I have a very profound experiences with mushrooms. I've also done mushrooms recreationally, like microdoses when I'm going out as an alternative for drinking. But like, it's just, it's a really sensitive topic and I want to make sure I address it with care and concern. So I'm just, I'm still figuring it out. So I will talk about this eventually, but not today. Okay, this question I absolutely hate. And the reason that I'm talking about it or giving it attention is because I hate it and I need to talk about why. Someone asked me verbatim, have you always been naturally small? Give us skinny tips. And there's just like so much that needs to be unpacked with that question. Like, Give us skinny tips? No, guys, no. Okay, no, 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 no. I am not a body expert. I'm not like a body image expert. I'm not a body positive expert. I'm not. To answer the first part of the question, yes, I have always been lean. I have always been, in quotes, thin. I have like, it's just, that is my my built and my genetic makeup. There is no part of me that is going to give you or sell you some workout routine or fucking skinny tea that's going to like make you lose weight because that would be a liar. Like I need to just full, full chest say this. Like I have always looked like this. I'm so sorry. I have nothing to add here, but like the give us skinny tips, I need us to reframe, guys. Just focus on living your happiest, healthiest, most authentic self. Stop thinking about how you can be smaller. Like, no, I, I, there's so much to unpack here, but I just want to lead with like being skinny, being smaller, like that does not equate to a healthier, more fulfilled life. Sometimes the skinniest looking people, honestly, in a lot of ways, me are the most unhealthy. Like I have really high cholesterol. Like I'm, my doctors have been like, you're, we're concerned about like diabetes vibes. I grew up eating so unhealthy. I'm just starting to learn about foods and reading labels and like knowing what's good for you and eating a nutritious, well-balanced diet because I ate fast food multiple times a week for like my whole life. So uh, just sometimes the skinniest people are the most unhealthy. And I just, I need us to not be asking questions like this. I also got a couple for like what I eat in a day. And like, that's also never going to happen for me. I'm sorry. I'm not the example. Um, and I also just naturally am on the more thinner, leaner side. So please just focus on being healthy and happy. The rest will fall into place from there, but don't focus on being smaller for the world. Please, please. A lot of ADHD questions about how ADHD affects my day-to-day -day life. Do I have any tips or tools that I find useful? And I could go on about this for a really long time. 
But when I say that ADHD is my biggest challenge in life, I I really mean it. I have been on medication since I was about 11 years old. I'm on Adderall. I've been on Adderall forever. I don't want to be on Adderall forever is also how I feel. And I, you know, catch myself projecting a lot when I talk about this subject, especially with people who are considering going on medication, specifically Adderall, because I feel so jealous that they got through life to this point without it. And therefore, I'm like, don't do it. But that being said, you know, medication has been a helpful tool for me, but it also has me in handcuffs, truly. Um, I'm going to get really vulnerable here. Like, there are a lot of things that I still think I'm not capable of doing if I am not on Adderall. And it's a huge challenge for me. And it's something that I'm working through. I mean, I'm going to have kids in the next couple of years. And obviously, I won't be able to take Adderall when I'm pregnant. And like, that is something that I really am fearful about. And I just, yeah. And even with Adderall and being on medication, like, there are still so many things that I like can't figure. Like, Adderall does not solve all my problems, period. Like, it does not like make my life fully better. It, you know, comes with also a lot of challenges. Um, and, the biggest one being that I'm now like relying on it for a lot of different things. And like one of my hopes in becoming an esthetician is that it will be something that I am good at naturally and that I don't need to be like doing all of like this admin all the time and that I'll, you know, be able to lean into my like more like healing, creative, energetic, spiritual side and like won't need to be on literal amphetamine salts while giving fucking facials to people. That's my hope. But yeah, and ADHD is my biggest struggle in life, period, end of discussion. I start 300 things and like finish one. I get so overwhelmed by things that I like can't even start them. I have like racing thoughts all the time. Like I just, it's really hard for me and I don't have a ton of tools. What I will say is something that works well for me is like having structure and a routines and then hacking that routine from there. So like, for example, I'm a big post-it user. I love post-its. So if I want to do something the next day, I will write it out. Like I'll be like, I'll set my alarm and then I'll have the post-it on my, you know, my wall when I wake up, when I roll over, there's a post-it that's put your clothes on and then my clothes are laid out. And then it's like, brush your teeth. And then it's drink water. And it's like all written out step by step so that I can do things while I'm on like that autopilot um, or like in autopilot rather. And that helps me stay on track versus like just trying to free ball my life because it's really hard. So I try to like do little hacks like that to set my day up for success the next day. Or like, for example, like I was on this athletic greens kick for a really long time and I should get back into it because I love athletic greens, but I would like make my water bottle with athletic greens and put it in the fridge the next day with like a note that said, drink me. Like I literally would just like gamify my life. So little things like that have been helpful. Um, but yeah, I don't have all the answers, unfortunately. And medication is also a touchy subject and something that I feel like I project like my own insecurities about when I talk about it. Um, I know it's been like life changing for a lot of people, but for me, I resent it so much because I was on it from such an early age and like in my most formative formative years. And now I feel like I can't do a lot of things without it. So it's a struggle. Some okay, this is the last one we're gonna do, but I want your take on birth control and how to not get pregnant. LOL. Um, I went off of birth control in the summer of 2021, and I will never go back on birth control. I mean, I should never say never, but as of now, I will never go back on birth control. I used to have a lot of like depression, anxiety, mental health stuff. And it's hard to like identify if going off birth control helped me with a lot of this because I made a lot of lifestyle changes at the same time because I was, you know, dating Andy, stopped drinking or cutting back on drinking. And like I made all these like other life changes, like started eating more healthy, like being out more being, you know, overall just happier. But I did that at the same time as going off of birth control. So it's hard to identify. But I have not had crippling anxiety. I have not had bouts of depression since going off of birth control. Like, I just feel like it affected my mental health so much more than I ever thought. And I went on it when I was like 15. So I was on it for 10 years. And I have endometriosis. So 
birth control is like one of the only things that can help me aside from getting the surgery, which I'm not going to get the surgery right now. Like it's just not at a place where I'm going to get the surgery. And doctors are always trying to get me to go back on birth control and I simply won't do it. This is a very personal decision, okay? Birth control is really like, you know, for some people it's like, it's whatever. But I just, for me, my gut tells me that it's not something that is serving me or was serving me. And I went off of it and I honestly feel like I like look different. I feel like I had like a lot of like inflammation before that I like don't have now. Like just a lot of weird things that I feel like really were affecting me that I didn't even know at the time because it was just my normal. But how to not get pregnant? That's a great question. And this is a hot take, but I just use condoms. I mean, I track my cycle on the Flow app, but I just choose to use condoms. And Andy is comfortable with that. And that's what we do. If a guy is not willing to use condoms, like that's really awkward. I don't know what to say. Um, so yeah, I know that's probably really shocking for a lot of people because we're married and whatever. He's so respectful about it. It's like not even a thought for him. And that's how we not we we avoid getting pregnant until we're trying to get pregnant. But yeah. And I just track my cycle on the flow app. And when I'm ovulating, I just try to like do other things that are not, you know. PNV. Is that like, am I going to get this taken down? Um, but yeah, being on birth control is a very personal decision. I'm not villainizing birth control for other people. It just wasn't the right fit for me. Low hormone, low estrogen, whatever. It just was not the right fit for me. So that's my take on birth control for myself. Everyone should do what's best for themselves. Everyone should talk to their doctors because in case it wasn't abundantly clear, I am not a doctor. Okay, wow, that 53 minutes flew by. Yeah. Um, I think next week we're going to talk about skincare because I got a lot of skincare questions and I feel like it needs its whole own episode. And next week I'll be like, I'm going to start preparing more for the start of school. And I feel like it will get me in the right headspace. So next week I'm going to cover all things skincare. And yeah, I love you guys. I hope you have a very nice day. And if you have any feedbacks, or feedbacks. Am I okay? Feedback or thoughts on the pod, let me know. I DM on Instagram or you can email me at a very nice day podcast at gmail.com. And I'm so grateful that you guys have been listening. I just I'm so appreciative of you. I always say to Andy, if I don't get one more follower, that's fine as long as I keep the ones I have because I love you guys so much and like you're just the best. Literally keep me exactly where I am, just with the people that are listening and I'm good to go. Like I'm actually all set. I mean, if you're new here, like happy to have you and I'm, you know, happy to welcome others, but like I just love you guys is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Have an amazing rest of your day. Do something nice for yourself and maybe something nice for someone else. No, definitely do something nice for someone else, even if it's just a little compliment to a stranger. Don't keep a nice thought to yourself. Okay. <laughs>